I had a little tear going there in that last song. And so it just this, this sense of the subtle things in creation are, are vast. We can often overlook those. We can often look at huge oak trees or mountains and think, oh, now that's amazing, which they are. But the subtle things I'm taken by recently in creation, emotions, the, the sense of, of uh, art and, and colors. And I'll remind you once again that God didn't have to do it that way. I'm looking out today and seeing a, an array of different shirts and patterns and tops and colors and whites and, and uh, oranges and reds and browns and be beautiful colors and beautiful shapes and beautiful personalities. All subtle gifts that God didn't have to give. Could have lived in a bland wor world with no laughter, no, no smells. This week I was walking in a garden and I, I was like smelling something. It was just amazing. I was like, what is that? It's like wherever I walked, it was there. And I figured out it was me. I was smelling. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it wasn't, definitely wasn't me. But I, there were these plants around. I don't even know what they were, these, these white buds. And I just whenever I'm like... You just can't catch that in a four-ounce bottle, no matter how expensive it is. God's got the, he's got the upper hand when it comes to cologne. Then this morning, I was walking, and I saw the clouds, and they just how they, they were feathered. And I thought even the greatest artist couldn't catch the millions of colors that were being feathered with the sun shining behind it. Just amazing. God's got the upper hand on art, on music. Paul went to heaven and said, dude, I can't even explain it, what I heard. The, 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 we think, you know, uh, we, we have an, a, an idea. I just have this thing in mind that it's going to be a mix between Western music and, and, and Eastern music and Indian music, and it's just going to be a beyond explanation. The words that we just sung, they remind us of a gift. When I survey... God gave us the ability to hover, to survey, to remember. God gave us the ability to have memory banks. And that, that is beautiful because we can think, gosh, there, there's so many memories. Can you imagine not having memory? We've talked through this series called Designed, how God has not only created the world, but He's brilliantly designed it in such a way as to sustain it. We talked about the massive irrigation system that God created, that if you were to create the, if you and I were to create the planet, we'd say, wow, that was a good job, but then we got to keep it going, the plants and the trees. And so we've spoken about how God made the oceans and they evaporate in clouds and the wind channels and the rain and it flows back through rivers, just brilliant. How God created a sun, a flaming ball of fire in the planet, perfectly placed at the right, uh, the right position that it didn't burn out after 17 years or 1,700 years. It's still going, for heaven's sakes, because God could sustain it. Even in the subtle things, we are sustained, and memory is one of those things. Memory sustains us. Memory allows us to push forward even from the good things of the past. I don't know about you, but there are times when I smell something, and, and just the, the, the something in your senses reminds you of something, like bacon. You know, when I smell bacon, it reminds me of my mom cooking bacon back and growing up as a kid. My, my wife was just cooking bacon the other day, and it's just a, there's nothing like the smell of bacon. And, and I told her, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a surprised they don't have like a, a bacon cologne or something. Wouldn't that be cool? At least guys would dig it. We were working out one, uh, one morning just a couple weeks ago, and I said, man, I, it was a pretty hard workout, at least for me. I was like, man, I need a recovery drink. And, and my wife said, I, I'm going to get some recovery bacon. And I'm like, okay, we, we could go. I could put some bacon in the smoothie. That would be pretty cool. Music is that way. Have you ever heard a song and you think, man, that reminds me of that exact moment? I was thinking back, uh, thinking of memory. I was thinking back. When I was in middle school, and uh, my friend, his name was Tripp. Um, let me explain why. Uh, he, he was uh, Everett Carl Gotzi III, and that's why they called him Tripp. And so Tripp and I were in middle school, and, and we were in his, the basement of his house. 
we were like setting up a pool hall. We thought that was so cool. We had a little pool table, and then we brought out the, you know, we put a black lights in, and we hung stuff, a psychedelic stuff that was in back then on the walls and everything. And we were like, man, this is a plan. This is going to be awesome. And there were girls involved. We were like, we could get girls. And, you know, they would, could come. We never did. I mean, it never worked out. It was us, you know, but we, it was the plan, you know. And uh, we set up a little stereo and some speakers, and, and we were like, golly, this is, this, this is going to be great. And so I, I, was, I just heard this song recently, and this is the song that we played. It came out in 1973. You may recognize it. You remember that? Oh, man, we were cool. We were walking around the pool table, you know, in our cool beauty, and it was like, oh, yeah. Kind of turning like that, you know what I'm saying, waiting for the girls to show up. And they never did. It's, uh, yeah. And I remember in high school, you know, we I had an eight track and and my old 1963 Galaxy Ford. I tell you, it, it was pretty cool. And so, um, any rate, I had an eight track. And so I remember, you know, you take a girl to the football game, and then afterwards, you know, you're driving, and I'd, I'd slip this song in, you know, to the eight track and and uh, get things going. Oh yeah. And then, you know, I'm thinking, because I was inexperienced, like, okay, what do I say? So I'd be like, uh, well, that was some football game, wasn't it? So, oh my gosh, I'm a guy. Like, at last touchdown, I'm telling you, it was something. You know, I'm trying to show a little, my, it never went well. I just, I can't figure out. The music was it. But I heard that song recently, it just took me back to that old cranberry red car, man. I can remember it. just like... God has given us, as human beings, this gift that, that smells and sounds and locations. It's truly this, this amazing thing that God has given. Human beings are not the only ones that got it. The animal kingdom got the gift of memory. It's remarkable how birds will remember their migratory patterns year after year because God gave them this gift. In fact, I was reading this past week about this, this couple, and they've got a cat. And you'll look at the cat's got some very distinctive marks, so it's not like this normal cat. They live in Daytona Beach. They went on vacation 200 miles north, 200 miles north of Daytona. And they, uh, the cat got out on vacation, and they looked and looked. They put up posters in the whole nine yards, never could find the cat, lost the cat. After a week, they had to return 200 miles south of Daytona. Months later, guess who shows up at the house? The cat. It's amazing. I mean, I, sometimes I get lost on the way home myself, and I got GPS. <laughs> God's put the, you know, and I started reading about some of the animals, and like they, they, uh, cats can see the lunar patterns at night, and that's how they navigate. Uh, elephants can see the, the, the 30 members of their family. They have this spatial memory that God put in their brains. It's remarkable. Check this out. This is like a sea lion. His name is Rio. Rio, uh, they did a trick, you know, because they can teach him how to bounce balls and everything. But they held up four playing cards, like a jack of diamonds, an eight of spades, blah, blah, blah. And so they held up these cards. And when he tapped the right card, they would give him a snack. I would tap a card for a snack. And so I, I understand that. So they, t they you know, trained him that if you tap only the jack of diamonds, you get a, a snack. And so they trained him so, so Rio could tap the jack of diamonds. So I think that's pretty amazing. Here's the amazing thing. Thing. They stopped the trick. They stopped the snacks for 10 years. 10 years later, held up four cards. Guess which one he tapped? Jack of Diamonds. Memory that they put. Here's another one. This is called uh, Clark's Nutcracker Bird. And the, the Clark's Nutcracker Bird, before winter, will bury pine nuts. Are you ready? In 30,000 places. 30,000 places before the snow comes. And when the snow comes, the Clark's Nutcracker Bird can find every single pine nut in 30,000 places. I lost my keys this morning <laughs> in a 2,000-square-foot house. What's wrong with that? I got one more for you. They did this study recently in Japan with chimpanzees about their short-term memory. Just watch this, this two-minute film. Look how amazing this gift of memory is. Check this out. Professor Tetsuro Matsuzawa at the Kyoto Primate Research Institute in Japan has devised a memory test for the chimpanzees. 
His star pupil is a seven-year-old chimpanzee. Show him the numbers one to nine, and he'll put them in the right order, pointing to them one by one. Every time he gets it right, he receives a treat, a tiny piece of apple or half a raisin. But now, the researchers make things difficult. As soon as the chimp presses the number one, the rest of the numbers are hidden. He has to remember where the numbers were and press the white squares in numerical order. The positioning of the numbers is totally random. He gets it right time after time with lightning speed and 100% accuracy. In 0.65 seconds, he can remember the numerals in which numerals in which position. Now it's your turn. Did you get them? No? Try again. This time we'll run the sequence at half speed. Still too difficult? Try at a quarter speed. full speed and you get an idea of how extraordinary this chimpanzee's memory is. I've, uh, I've never liked monkeys. Have you? <laughs> I hate them now. <laughs> and it make you feel like a moron. I went a step further. I didn't do a quarter speed. I froze the darn thing. I'm like, I still can't figure out where three is. <laughs> oh. It's amazing that God has given it the animal kingdom this. And I would say, let me pull it together here. You know why I think God did that for animals? One word, survival. They can't survive without this, without, without remembering where to go to hide, where, where to go to, to mate, and how to go and migrate, migrate, and all these things. You watch March of the Penguins and how they remember to go to the ocean, and the, the male stays behind, they find each other, and they can remember the, the parent's voice of squawking a, mil a million penguins. They can hear their own. Amazing, because God wanted them to survive. I would say the same thing is true for us. That God wants us to survive and thrive and grow, and without spiritual memory, we cannot make that happen. As we come to the end of the creation story in Genesis chapter 1, we're reminded that God rested on the seventh day. But it's not just that He rested. He took inventory. He surveyed, as we sang before. He, took, he stood back and he, and he hovered and said, let me just kind of look at it all and remember I'm often, uh, you know, asked, do you really believe, isn't it kind of far-fetched to believe that God created the entire universe in six days? I said, it is. It's extremely hard for me to believe that it took him that long. People are like, really? He can do the whole thing in six days? I'm surprised it didn't take him six minutes. I mean, think about it. Let there be light. Whoo! Okay, that was about three seconds. He didn't need the time because he is so far above who we know him to be. On the seventh day, I believe literally. Do you believe literally? You betcha I do. Because God is, honestly, could have said God created the world in six seconds. I'd be, okay, I, I can get that. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed. And I love this. In all their vast array. That goes from the mountains to the great seas, to the natural phenomena, right down to the wings on a mosquito, right down to, if you just felt your pulse right now, to the smells, to all the things, including bacon, the vast array of all this. By the seventh day, God had finished the work He had been doing, so on the seventh day, He rested from all His work. And God blessed the seventh day. And he made it unique. He made it distinctive. He made it holy. He set it apart intentionally because on it 
He rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And much said, and it was very good, we're told, at the end. So I'm going to do an, an exercise for a second. I want you to play along. I want you to think of a, a memory that you have that's just like, oh, I love that. I love that memory. Maybe it's when you were three years old, or, or that's way back too far for me. If it were like 15 years old, or if you were 28, or maybe even last week. Now, let me specify a shareable one. Because I'm going to give you 15 seconds. Some of the great memories you guys have had, I don't want to know about. Honestly, there's some. But if you can share it, I'm just going to ask you to, whoever's beside you or close by, if there's somebody sitting by themselves, scooch over there and share with you the 15 seconds and then give the other person a shot. 15 seconds of say, hey, I, I just, this is a beautiful memory. Like I shared this morning with someone, like I used to, as a kid, lay on the backyard in the grass in the summer and just look at the stars. And I, I love that. I don't do it anymore. Uh, people would think you're a little off if you lay in your front yard as an adult. But as a kid, that's kind of cool. But, um, but I may try it tonight. But um, so I'm, I'm going to give you 30 seconds here to quickly share a, a, a shareable, beautiful memory that you have. Okay, hit it. Go. All righty. Let me interrupt you. That's fun, isn't it? I bet you, that you, you if we could just take all afternoon and say, come on up and share your, your 15, 30-second deal. Because there's a beautiful part of who we are. And you know what we just did? We did it intentionally. That I bet you shared something right now. Had I not maneuvered you and said, hey, let's do this, you probably wouldn't have done it. And I believe that's what the Sabbath is about. That God intentionally said, I'm stopping right now. I'm going to remember. I'm going to, I'm going to kind of zero in. And there are times where we have to intentionally engage ourselves in remembering not only the good things that we just talked about, but spiritually. But I will remind you today that memory, our memory bank has two vaults, two sides. There are whatever you just shared about, and this one I will not ask you to share because they're probably too painful and too personal. What if you were to think of this minute, one of the most painful memories that you have? Perhaps it's something that you did yourself that you completely regret. Perhaps it's something that someone did to you. Perhaps it's a moment. Perhaps it's a chapter of years, whatever those things are. You see, memory is a blessing and a seemingly a curse because the navigation of people's lives have been changed at times by the bad memories that they carry around. And I will remind you that when God assessed creation on that seventh day, that it wasn't just, these, just the beautiful things but I'll remind you that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, we are told that all of these things came out of tohu wabohu, which is the Hebrew word for absolute garbage dump of absolute worthlessness and darkness. You see, God looked at it and He saw this is very good because I remember where it came from. In the Sabbath, I believe that God intentionally remembered that moment. We don't have the time or the depth to get into it. But I, can't, I believe that in that moment of darkness and voidness, that tohu wabohu of the, that we read when we open the, the, the prologue of creation, that it, is, it stems from Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, when we're told that Lucifer, the most beautifully created creature in all of heaven, 
he mounted an insurrection against God and he, he was tossed and thrown to earth. And we have to understand that that too was part of God's memory bank. You see, the beautiful thing comes in contrast to those other things. God created this and formed this community we know now as the nation of Israel. And for hundreds of years, they were the focus of God's heart and a community. And he was trying to show to them that this is how you be with one another before you go into the world. And, and so he tracked with them and he tied in this intentional statement time after time after time after time. He said, I'm going to tap in to, your, to the negative memory bank, but I'm going to also tap in contrast into your positive memory bank. Steve, what are you talking about? Well, if you know the history of the nation of Israel, they were for 400 years in captivity, in abuse, in cruelty, in, in, in bondage. They couldn't sleep or eat or go anywhere of their own volition. They were only, uh, they were slaves. And God reminded them constantly, this is where you were, but... I have changed that. And when Moses went up on the mountainside for 40 days and 40 nights, that's nearly a month and a half. Do you ever wonder what in the world did he talk about? Because he only came off the mountain with a tablet with Ten Commandments. You think, gee, that took that long? It must take a long time to carve in stone. No. I'll tell you what God talked about. First five books of the Bible, you know who wrote them? Moses. You know where he got it from? Spending a month and a half with God. Do you know why we know that the Sabbath, that, that God rested? Because God infused that and he said to Moses, here's why I want you guys to remember the Sabbath. Moses comes off that mountain from a month and a half of doing a solo retreat with God. And, the, and he offers these Ten Commandments as the first of many directives that he was going to issue. And so when he comes off, we find that in Exodus chapter 20 and a rerun of it in Deuteronomy chapter 5. That's where we're going to plant, Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy is a rerun book. It's kind of a recap book. And so when we find ourselves in Deuteronomy chapter 5, one of these commandments was this. And I want you to tie in. I want you to note how God ties in both sides of the memory bank, the gift that God has given to us. Moses said, or God said through Moses, I should say, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Next word, remember. Use the gift of the design that I have given to you. Remember that, number one, you have a negative hard past, that you were slaves in Egypt. And number two, I want you to remember that it was the Lord your God who brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, for that reason, both sides of your memory, for that reason, the Lord your God has commanded you to stop and to remember and observe the Sabbath day. It's a beautiful thing. See, we're commanded in Isaiah chapter 46. Hey, stop what you're doing. Sabbath your mind and remember the former things long past because I want you to know without a shadow of a doubt that I and I alone am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. You see, the reason that we engage our spiritual memory is to recalibrate ourselves because we think at times we, by our own effort and our own strength, can pull ourselves out of Egypt. And God says, not so fast. May I remind you of the first commandment. When he came off the mountain, when, he, when Moses began to read the, the second version of the, the tablets, the first one got crushed because he got so ticked that the, the, you know, they were partying while he was up on the mountain. And so when Moses came off the mountain, he read these words. I've got a memo from God, and here is the memo of all the things that God could have said. He said, I've got to remind you something. I've got to remind you of this. Deuteronomy 5, verse 6, I am the Lord your God 
who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. See, God reminds us that no one can take us out, but no one can deliver us to Canaan, to the promised land, except God. We have to remind ourselves that we can get stuck in this spiritual Egypt, this spiritual place of being uh, caught up and and not being where God wants us to. And he's like, oh, I didn't design you to be that way. You see, if you're an inventor and a designer and you're only doing just what's just the person is doing half of what they, they could with your design. You're like, oh, no, you're not getting the full. I'm just discovering the smartphone. And, and I'm getting into I'm like, wow, it does that. And iCloud. You guys ever heard of iCloud? I'm just kidding. Of course you have. See, I go to people who are teenagers and say, teach me my smartphone because I have no clue. I'm trying. And, and, and so, you know, you guys probably laugh at older, uh, older guys like me. But I, I'm like, oh, it connects. It connects to my computer. And I'm like, yeah, we've been doing that for a decade. So, but... But there's this discovery. See, I'm not using the full design. And if Steve Jobs were still around, they'd go, oh, dude, you're just getting like the tip of the iceberg of the design. So our middle school son, he created this design. He was inventing something. And I could hear him back in, in, in the uh, room des- designing this thing. And, and uh, it's a design that's, that's centered around snacks. And I got chip off the old block. You know what I'm talking about? So I, I brought a little home video of you to see the, this design that he created. Check this out. Hi. Hey. What you want? Snacks. Help yourself. There we go. Pull the string and snacks come right to you. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> see, I thought this was pretty cool. So I've got one in the master bedroom right now. <laughs> Only mine comes from the fridge. You know, I just, no, I'm kidding. So as he was designing this, I could hear him in the back, doggone it, you know, he'd be throwing something because the design, it wasn't working like the design. So I brought you also the blooper reel. Here was the first test run. Check this out. What are we going to film? What would you like right now, Ty? I would like a good snack. Really? I wonder how you're going to get one. <laughs> Take one. You see, God is like, see, not that. That's not the way I wanted you. See, I didn't design you to be stuck in Egypt believing that that's where you were designed to operate. I designed you for so much greater things. But the challenge, and there's always a challenge, the challenge is, that there are incoming forces that keep us enslaved to our spiritual Egypts. There are times when we like, ah, I'd like to get out, but no way. I'm here. Think about being an Israelite in Egypt. The hope that you would have had of getting out of that unbelievably awful situation would have been close to zero. How in the world could you have done it? How in the world could they have pulled them? The answer is they couldn't. Sometimes those, those, those forces just keep us there. And the first incoming force, you know where it comes from? Within. Within. We often convince ourselves, nah, this is where I'm at. We start to, start to believe that we're inadequate. The number of people, listen, the number of people, Christians, seasoned Christians, that I've gone to, I've looked them right in the eye and said, you know what? You could be a disciple maker. Oh, no, not me, man. Not me. I don't have a degree from a cemetery. A seminary. Sorry, it's a Freudian slip. I'm not expert. And, you know, I'm not like Bob who's in my small group. Dude, that guy can turn to, you know, numbers in, in three seconds. Like, no, oh, no, you got the wrong criteria. But we've convinced ourselves that this is my little corner, and I'll just be a learner the rest of my life. I said, no, get out of that. Other people have convinced themselves that I'm, just, I'm not smart, or I'm not, uh, I'm not jovial, or I'm not outgoing. I'm just going to always be shy. Some people have said, I'm just nervous. That's just the way I am. And God said, no, that's your Egypt. I never created something like that that you would say, I'm just stuck here. 
Peter was that way. He came before Christ, and Christ just did this amazing miracle. You right? remember they, these guys were fishing all night, and for a guy who's fishing all night and not catching anything, it puts him in a bad mood. Jesus comes along and says, hey, try on the other side of the boat. They throw the net in. They catch hundreds of fish. And when, when, when Peter saw this, he realized that who he was standing before. And in John or Luke chapter 5, verse 8, Simon Peter saw this, this, this amazing miracle. He, he fell at Jesus' knees and he says, get away from me. You have no idea who I am. Get away from me. I am a sinful man. And I got to tell you, God, who is the only one who can take us out of our Egypt because we have believed our internal voice about whatever inadequacies that we have, we actually push away the only one who can take us out. Peter was like, no, I, I'm only seeing Egypt in me. And Jesus said, no, I see something so much greater. I see Canaan in you. I see the promised land in you. Jesus said to Simon in verse 10, don't be afraid. Your inner voice is freaking you out. People's inner voice, sometimes your inner voice can be your greatest enemy. Your greatest bondage of saying, this is the way I'm out. We take these personality tests, which I, I, I like, but we say, well, I'm an introvert. I will always be an introvert. Well, I maybe always have those tendencies, but God says, that doesn't mean you sit in a corner and read a book. I want to grow you out, Moses. Gideon said, no, I'm not a mighty warrior. Oh, yeah, you are. Come on, I'm seeing a warrior in you. Moses, I'm not a speaker. Oh, yeah, you are. Come on, I'm seeing something. Jesus to Peter, hey, look, Simon, don't be afraid from now on. I see something great. You're going to catch men. You're going to go after the souls of men. So they pulled up their boat on shore and left everything and followed him because Peter in that moment believed the voice of God more than he believed his own voice that bonded him to Egypt. Sometimes it's not just an internal voice, it's an external voice. I discipled a young guy one time. His father growing up said this to him. You will always be a loser and a quitter. Over and over and over and over and over and over until he believed the external voice. You remember the woman at the well? She came, she met, Jesus met her, encountered with Jesus. John chapter 4, verse 6, Jesus came to a small, to a town called Sychar, near the plot of, uh, of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Okay, you think, well, okay, that may be not a big deal. If you measure that by Roman, uh, you can measure by Roman time or Jewish time because of the book of John and the, the context is probably Jewish time, which means it was noon. It was noon. Nobody collected water at noon. You wouldn't in Florida. If you're going to collect your water with big, with big jars and vessels, you're going to go early in the morning or you're going to go at night. And the reason that she came at noon is that because she was ousted by the rest of her community because of the lifestyle she lived. She not only had the scarlet letter sewn onto her sweater, they super glued it to her flesh. And she believed, this is who I will always be, a loser, a quitter, a lowlife, someone who doesn't, is, is lazy, someone who's anxious. Oh, people told me I'm anxious all the time. This is who I'm going to be. And Christ said, I would challenge that because you do not know who I am, period. Watch this. Christ said in verse 10 in chapter 4, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was, who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He would have lifted you up above all the voices of the village. She knew the voices. She heard it in the supermarket when she was on the falafel aisle and they were on the pita aisle. She heard what they were saying. Oh, there she goes. She's on her 12th husband. Yeah, that's what she's like. Here she comes. Here she comes. Go down the fruit aisle. She knew that. And you know who else knew it? Christ knew it. For all those external incoming forces that say you will always be in Egypt, 
may I challenge you that there is a higher, more powerful, and greater voice that wants to speak to you and say, I am the Lord your God who can and am fully able to bring you out of Egypt into a different place. And you have to think, thank God, there's a different voice in this world. So she went back and told the whole marketplace. She said, I heard another voice today. I've heard yours for years. I heard another voice today. And this, watch what happens. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Christ because of the woman's testimony. And her testimony was this. He told me everything I ever did, and he still loved me. See, you've been telling me all my life everything I did. You, <laughs> the gossip phone is, is alive and well. But he told me everything I ever did and knew all about it. And he still saw the promised land in me. Oh, what a great and amazing God we have. One more. Sometimes it's our internal voice. Sometimes it's external voices. But sometimes I've seen people being kept in the bondage of Egypt because of their circumstances. They think, man, if I could just get a better job, then I would be walking with God more. No, you won't. You won't. If I could just make more money, I would tithe. You, you won't. It's about faith, not finances. If I could just get out of this, if I could, whatever that thing is. You remember um, uh, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego? These are the three guys in the book of Daniel, and the, God was, uh, the, the king Nebuchadnezzar was about to toss them in this blazing furnace. And they said to him when they went in, Daniel chapter 3, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O king Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God who took Israel out of Egypt, the God we serve, is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. One of my favorite verses coming up. But even if he does not... Even if he doesn't change my circumstances at all, I've, I've seen people in the most wretched, inhumane conditions in this, on, on this planet, and they are so happy. I just read a, a, a survey. Uh, Guatemala ranks high in the number of crimes, and, but it ranks one of the highest nations of happiness. These nations prove to us in our American cushiness that, that we, uh, it, it, we depend on our cushiness to make us happy. And God says, no, 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 no. When things are awful, we're like, no, no, gosh, you know, it's hard. No, God's saying, no, watch. These guys say, even if he does not, we want to remind you, O king, of the first commandment that Moses read, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up because we will not be stuck in our hearts. We may be stuck in the furnace. I may be stuck in a bad home situation. I might be stuck in a bad financial situation. And this is proof. I love this verse because it shatters the health and the wealth and the prosperity gospel because God never promised that your life is going to be so much better. And that's, in my opinion, spiritual malpractice to say otherwise. I've looked at people in the eyes, men in the eyes, and say, dude, if I don't take this job, it may not go well. But if I take it, it's going to draw me away from God. It's going to draw me away from church. And I would say, don't take it. And let me tell you, I'm not going to give you the promise. If you don't take it, God's going to work everything out because i got a lot of things in my life that God never really worked out. He'd say, be happy in the circumstances and get over it. Don't be in a spiritual Egypt just because things aren't aligning perfectly. Because in America, the worst day of our life would be the best day of our billions of people around the planet. I'll remind us of that. It's not only bad conditions because we pray more in foxholes, do we not? I know I do. When the plane's going down and we got the oxygen mask on, we're like, dear God, I'll do it. Really go, go into it. Then when it's too late and you know that the plane's really going to go down, just take that oxygen mask, put it on top of your head and use it as a party hat because things are going to get better after death. I know some of you are just getting that. You're like, I'll try that. And that's... <laughs> Sometimes our worst moments, strange comment, are when, it's when the best things are happening to us. 
when, when favor and blessing and all that come, there are those sometimes, the moments of spiritual Egypt, and we don't see it. Deuteronomy chapter 8, God reminded his people, he said, when you've eaten and you've been satisfied and you've been at the buffet over there and you're eating all those things in the promised land, praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. Verse 11, be careful that you do not forget. I've seen a lot of forgetful, successful people because of their circumstances has now created, their, their beautiful, favorable circumstances has created this scenario in their life that becomes an Egypt. Jesus, when he sat down at the table with his disciples, today we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Jesus, when he sat down with his disciples, I just wonder sometimes, don't take this to the bank, but I just wonder what the conversation went like. And I wonder that because he said, guys, we're going to Sabbath. They just come through the madness of what we call Palm Sunday where they're waving branches and, you know, then Jesus goes right into the temple and kicks some tables over. It's the, the contrast is just wonderful, really. And so they come and they said, look, no, let's carve away a special place called the upper room. Let's intentionally Sabbath and remember and reminisce and kind of hover. And I just wonder if they sat around that table for hours, and I wonder if Jesus said, I'd like to contrast my memory bank. Peter, I remember that day. Remember that day I came upon you. You were kind of in a gruff mood because you hadn't caught anything all night. And dropped that line. I saw your eyes grow big. Remember that day? And look at you now. You didn't believe you didn't believe in yourself. You just thought, this is what my father did, this is what my grandfather did. I'll just do it nine to five or five to nine. If you're a fisherman, you're fishing all night. This is what I am. And I promised you that day, Peter, that you would do something great. And you don't even know in this moment how great it's going to be. That you're going to reach, you're going to open up the world to the Gentiles. You're going to open this thing up, this community up. And open it up. You have no idea. I wonder if he looked at Matthew and said, Matthew, the tax collector, even your mother doesn't like you. You remember that? Because you collected her taxes and probably did it in the wrong way. You remember that, Matthew? Everybody, But look at you now, man. Your heart actually cares for people. See, I think God looks at us and he says, I want you to remember that you who were once far away from Christ, we read in Ephesians chapter 2, remember that you were separate from Christ, Pete. That you were without hope. Don't forget that you were without God in the world. But now, maybe the greatest words in the Scripture, but now, Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, you who were once so far away in your own spiritual Egypt have now been brought through through the brother of Christ. And I believe that on that day, he took that bread as he sat on that table and he said, look, boys, I'm asking you to do something. And this is it. Remember, remember that I intend for you to grow into a promise a spiritual promised land. He looked him in the eye and said, do you believe? Do you believe I am able? And I bet in that moment they said, absolutely. We've seen too much. We've heard too much. Absolutely. How about you today? Do you? Are you stuck in an Egypt that seems so insurmountable? could be a personality trait. I'm always grouchy. I'm always anxious. I'm kind of apathetic. I'm indifferent. I'm lazy. I'm greedy. Uh, whatever. And, and somehow you've resolved that's how you're going to be. Don't believe it. Remember. Maybe you've, maybe you've listened to horrible, horrible abuse. Horrible voices that have belittled you, your character, your heart, 
your dreams. Maybe your dreams have been dissolved by external voices. Christ would say to you, quit listening to those horrible voices and remember my voice today. Perhaps your situation and your circumstances today are awful. You're not getting that job. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. God would say, don't look at that. Look above that and remember I am able to do it. I'm able to bring promised land peace and encouragement and joy outside of circumstances, no matter what they are. I've got one more thing to say to you, and it's this. I believe that God asks us to remember so that we remember how to treat other people. You remember the, the, when Jesus made this statement, those who for, are forgiven much, they love much. They'll forgive too. Do you see in another person their promised land, or have you perhaps stuck another person and imprisoned them? Oh, they're always being grouchy to their own Egypt. Bob's blown it 18 times. He'll always be there. God said, no, I'm using you as an instrument. You remember when the Apostle Paul came along for the first time, he, his, his entrance onto the stage of the world? I'll remind you that he would have been indicted for murder, first-degree murder, as he mapped out. And then he, he came, and God changed him. He took him out of his Egypt and was heading him toward a promised land. In Acts chapter 9, when Paul came to Jerusalem, what sad words... He tried to join the team. I'd like in. No, not happening. But they were all freaked out, not believing that God had done an amazing thing. But Barnabas, Barnabas said, no, let him in, man. Let him in, not because I've got any proof, but I see something. And I'm not going to hold the guy to his habits to his crimes, to his sin. I'm not going to stick him in Egypt. I can't do it because I know, Barnabas would say, what God has done for me. Would you be that person? My mom is sitting here today. Mom, I always remember our friends Kim and Shannon. And they were a young couple going to a, years ago going to our church. Behind the scenes, we didn't know that their marriage was holding on by a thread. They were in a, this kind of a, a study class, this 10-week deal. And my mom looked at them one day, not knowing anything that was going on. You know, church people, we hide it well. And she looked at this young couple and said, you guys make a great couple. She saw something. What she didn't know is on the way home, they looked at each other, and they were driving home, and they looked at each other and said, you know what? We do make a, a good, great couple. We do. We've, been, we've convinced ourselves that we're near the end because of everything happening around. We've listened to our in-laws, our family, and they're saying, boy, it's one sniff, it's one ink pen away from signing the papers that it's over. But here's a, a sweet southern lady, most of the time. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, gosh, I'm going to pay for that one. A sweet southern lady that said one statement. You guys make a great couple. They've since moved to Colorado. Three beautiful kids. Marriage has just done great. But before they live, left Sarasota, they, they came and we said our goodbyes. It was emotional. And they looked at my mom, and I'll never forget these words. They said three words. The husband did. You saved us. She was like, what? You saved us. You probably didn't think that much about it. But on that day when you looked at us, you saw something different. And you said, you guys make a great couple. And we believed a voice different than the ones we had heard before. 
at the top of my list of things that bother me. I, I hate pigeonholing. I hate it. Whether I hear it from Christian leaders or Christian lay people, it doesn't matter to me. Well, that person will always be that way. Have you read this? You've read about Moses? God was a jerk. Selfish. You've read about Peter, right? You've read about Isaiah, who also said, get away from me, God. You've also read about Gideon, who didn't believe anything. You've read that, right? God can take you out of your place of Egypt. Will you be a vessel that delivers that message? Because Christ, as we come to the table, I would ask you to examine your heart. Am I in an Egypt? Have I put myself here? Has somebody else put me here? Have I believed my circumstances? Or am I putting other people in an Egypt? Or am I very intentionally seeing them a promised land in, in them to draw them out to a better place? Christ said, remember, remember, don't ever forget. Let's pray. Father, thank you that constantly, God, you remind us that you are the Lord, our God, who took us out of our own personal Egypt. And not only that, God, but you brought us into a different place. I would venture to say, God, today that all of us even have certain segments, certain areas of Egypt that are still in us. Perhaps people have put us there. Maybe we're, we're followers of Christ, and yet there are areas of our heart that are still there, and we've believed our own voice. I will always be fill-in-the-blank. We've believed the voice of those who have unfairly assessed us or even abused us, God. We sometimes believe, even as followers of Christ, that our circumstances determine our joy and our spiritual promised land. Whatever those things are, God, I pray today as we come at this table and as we take this bread and that this, this juice, God, that we'll remember. We're going to Sabbath, God, away from the busyness of our minds in this moment. For those of us who have enjoyed this exodus, the spiritual exodus, God, perhaps we should ask ourselves the question, are there those that we've pigeonholed in Egypt? Are there those that we have enslaved either intentionally or inadvertently, God? I pray you all, we, we give you permission, as Clay said before, permission, God, to do whatever work that you would do as we remember in Christ's name. Amen.